0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 248. And I'm joined today by Mark Miller. Mark Miller is is a legend. Um, he's someone I'd wanted on for a long while, but I'd never met him and we'd never ch- chatted. And I did a t- I tweeted him. Say, I think s- someone else tweeted s- saying that he should come on. And I tweeted saying I'd in love him to come on. And he responded. And we got talking over over DM and I uh, just before Christmas I drove up to Scotland um and we had a little chat and it was as interesting as it was inspirational for me if you if you're not familiar with Mark miller I can quickly the easiest way to bring you up to speed is say he's the the writer and creator of Kickass Kingsman uh Wanted they're all kind of his own titles but he also has done some of the, my favorite Marvel runs and DC and all sorts of other stuff. So um yeah, he's a bit of a legend in that world. Um he's now w- working with Netflix on a load of amazing things. So we talk about all of this stuff and he was amazingly open and honest. So yeah, I loved it. I should mention now as ever the reason I could I had the the, the budget to drive up to scotland and get, and get a hotel and stuff like that is um is patreon.com slash pip it's a dollar a month next week we launch the first ever um poem of the month on patreon it's the first monday of the month every month is that next week or the week after it's the week after then isn't it anyway soon poem of the month and we're also having um distraction pieces rewind episodes on there which is that's every, the third Monday of the month where I sit down and record a kind of... I go... I'm, I'm doing them f- f- five at a time. So the first week will be episodes one to five. I just sit down and have a bit of a, a reminisce about what happened in the episodes, what, what what happened behind the scenes of the episodes, a few different how I met the person type things. So, so they're all interesting. And as I said, it's a dollar a month. And I should also mention that... The dollar a month helped with the petrol. How did it work? I got a deal, didn't I? I didn't get it for free because that'd be wrong. I got a really good deal because um, I stayed for a few days at the Dome House in the Lake District, and it's a it's this amazing hotel. You should look it up online. Um, and they were cool as anything. Um, I'd seen it previously. It was on Grand Designs. I'm a, a massive nerd for Grand Designs. I love looking at all the crazy people. Be- be- Beautiful buildings. So it was on that, and then they've they've opened a few of the rooms as as a hotel type thing in the lake district. So I stayed there and then I did a drive to Mark, recorded the podcast and drove back to Dome House. Um yeah, that's kind of the story there. Um before we get into it as well, I should mention as ever that we're brought to you by speech development records dot com. There's a lot of snow and wintry stuff happening all of a sudden go there, you you need more jumpers and scarves and bobble b- b- hats. I gifted a scarf t- t- to Mark, actually, because the scarf has the slogan, oh, we may not be for you, and that's fine. And it felt really perfect for his approach to his cartoons and Millerworld, how he's kind of been the one to just go, here's what I'm doing. At the peak of his kind of Marvel fame and all that, he could have just kept going to big, going from avengers to fantastic four or wherever else but instead he went no here's my little weird worlds i want to create so yeah i gifted him a scarf that said that but yeah all of that is available at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. this saturday two more things to tell you honestly i'll get to the podcast in a minute this saturday is the first of my club nights of the year we are lizards um at the book club we've got oh i should have put my phone on silent unbelievable Gemma Kearney is coming down to DJ, previous Distraction Pieces podcast guest. Um, and yeah, it's at the book club on Saturday. Come down. It's free before nine o'clock and a five or after it goes up as the night goes on. But um, yeah, I'll be DJing in a rubber l- l- lizard mask. What more could you want? I thought of something else I wanted to tell you then. Oh, yeah. If you are new to this podcast, in fact, I should pause a bit in case anyone's skipping those adverty type things because this bit isn't an advert. Um, you probably will have skipped now, and you should be back now at least. If you are new to this podcast, then I've had some really good k- comic book guests on in the past. Um, Alan Moore was was w- 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 one of my first guests. He comes up a lot in this in this episode. Warren Ellis, Garth Ennis, k- Kieran Gillen and Jamie M- o- o- McKilvey. Um, have I had any other comic book guys? I think that's it. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all the comic book guys so far. But um, I recommend a few in the podcast as well. So uh, yeah, it should be an enjoyable one. Um, I'll stop rambling on. I'm sure I had, had one more th- thing that I needed to, to tell you about the club. Now, oh yeah, the bonus. There's a bonus episode on Friday. I'm giving you an extra episode. I got the chance to sit down with a- a- Adam McKay. Now, Adam McKay. Is probably one of your favourite directors, but people often don't make note of the directors' n- names. So Adam McKay's n- new film, which is getting tipped for loads of awards, is Vice. It's absolutely amazing. It's already... If you saw heard my Films of the Year list, you'll know I list every film I go to see, and I put a star by the ones I think could be end of year, Films of the Year. Vice was the first film I saw this year, and it's got a star by it. Uh, The second film was mid-90s, and that also has a star by it, so it's going to be a tough year at the end of the year to get down to my end-of-the-year list. But yeah, Adam wrote and directed Vice. He also wrote and directed The Big Short, which is one of my favourite films. Um, Absolutely blew me away. And people seem to know that because he made those two films and got a lot of hype um, because they were award-nominated or award-winning and kind of tackling... Heavy and highbrow subjects, but in a genuinely entertaining and funny and amusing way. Um, and a lot of people don't realize he also wrote and directed Step Brothers and Anchorman and The Other Guys. So basically, the, the, the Big Short was the first film he did without a Will Ferrell. Previous to that, he did all the Will Ferrell stuff, the funny or Diet stuff, all that kind of thing. And then he did The Big Short, it was his first one without. Will Ferrell, but I mean, he replaced him with C- Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, he got a decent cast in place, and then yeah, v- Vice is his next one, so that's out on Friday as a bonus, still completely free and wonderful, It's I really enjoyed it, it flowed beautifully, Um always nervous if it's, as you know, if it's a director that I really like but haven't met, particularly when they're American. For some reason, most of the time, when it's English people, I think, we'll we'll click and we'll get each other. But there's always that concern that we might not be on the same page. But we were, and he was lovely, and it was wonderful. So, So that'll be out on Friday. But now, enjoy Mark Miller on the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 248. Right, I'm joined today by Mark Miller. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Very good. Just just getting re- oh, hang on, we should probably
1: start over as well. Are so you getting ready for Christmas? But you're going out in January? It's, it's, it's absolutely
0: <laughs> fine. I'll, I'll let him know that. I was, I was going to say that I was, um, I, was just, I was just putting my phone in airplane mode and I don't need to tell you that because you're, you're not a smartphone guy. You're
1: well, my, my phone isn't even aware that there are such a thing as aeroplanes. It's so old, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: I love it I love it but how's it all going how's it's been as I said this will be going out in January but it's fine for people to know we're recording it in December but it's been a pretty exciting year right because it seems to be it, so much is being ramped up at once in your in Miller World yeah. as such. It's like like a tsunami. you know. Yeah. It's
1: like the water has just gone back from the beach and then I know all I know the wave that's coming in and yeah. it's so exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, everything starts kind of spring 2020 but all the things start shooting over the next few weeks yeah. which is really exciting. So we're doing casting just now. Amazing. All the strips are coming in. All the showrunners are up and running and all that. So, I mean, we sold the company to Netflix uh, what, about 16 months ago? Yeah. And we've just been going full speed. Like It's weird because... I uh, partnered with the artist whenever a uh, formula, world, yeah. you know? And the idea uh, for anyone who doesn't know is what we did was a fifty-fifty split with everything. Right. So the artist owns every single one of our creations. Amazing. So whenever we sold the company, the artists all got a big massive chunk of money, yeah. you know, because they owned fifty percent of each of the things. Uh, and so many of them just. Checked out, they were kind of like, I'm just gonna go and spend the money, yeah. <laughs> and I was worried i sort of destroyed the industry, you know. And I was like, Oh, pals of mine were like, oh, I'll maybe do something with you in about seven years, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna go and spend the cash now. And I thought, and there was a wee bit of me, so I thought maybe I should take some time off, and yeah, you know. And then I thought, like, an opportunity like this doesn't come around that often. And if you are interested in being creative, it's really hard to do more than a week, yeah. on, on a break, you know. What I mean, if, yeah. you, if
0: you enjoy what you do, two weeks is like hell, you I know. I completely agree so, Oh, well, when you're your own boss yeah you've not got a boss to take a holiday from it's the way i always kind of sum it up it's like i i've had three holidays in the last 10 11 years that's a good saying not it? in a bad way yeah i have yeah. really enjoyed it but it's just it's one of them every time i've had a holiday it is a week a, even a few days in i'm like either i've had an idea for something i want to yeah. write or i'm concerned that exactly that i'm blowing opportunities i've yeah. had this amazing opportunities to have the career I've had, and yeah,
1: well, a holiday is something that you would rather be doing, yeah. it? That's the whole point, isn't it? So if, yeah. you, if you're in a job that it's a grind to get up in the morning, as most people is, you know, it's it's hard, and else they wouldn't give you money for it, you know. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so you, yeah, you're yeah. having to set your alarm and get up. So a holiday's a relief, but weirdly, we're so lucky to be doing something that we're into, yeah. you know. That if I'm on holiday, I'm thinking about the work, you know. But I'd say by about day five. Yeah. I start getting a little bit itchy. So, when we sold the company, I took a week off. I literally took a week <laughs> off. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I, I signed up a whole new job, a whole brand new job as an exec wow. within Netflix and just sort of like overseeing all these these different films and TV shows and everything.
0: It's amazing. And I, I just I
1: absolutely love it. I wake up in the morning excited to go downstairs and switch on the computer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll chat with the kids and all that as they're going out to school and everything, you know, but I'm already thinking, oh, I can't wait to get started on
0: that. Well, you know? I want the first people I had on. Is someone who's become an, a, a good friend of mine and an old friend of mine, Alan Moore. Yeah, and he was saying that the excitement of comic books for him in the early days was that freedom to do stuff that previously you couldn't have ever done. Yeah, and that must be the feeling of signing a deal with a big with Netflix and as a yeah. production company to go. Well, you've done that within <laughs> comic books, but now, not that you've got. The run of the playground, but yeah. you kind of have yeah, you got that, yes. kind of, yeah. that kind of well. What do you want to make? So, yeah, there's loads I want to make. Can we just make it? Well, you
1: that's know? the beauty. I mean, here, here's the situation, and I often describe it as being like Hollywood in the 1920s, yeah. where people are just finding their feet and just sort of thinking, okay, we've got all this time, we've got all this money to make yeah. things and all that, but you know, we, we need to fill the, the space. And Netflix, I mean, to put it in perspective, Netflix this year have done 1,500 hours of original material. Mm -hmm. And an average studio does 30 to 40 hours of original material a year. Like a big studio does 30 to 40. So you just look at the mathematics of it and there's just so much material required. And that's, see, for a writer, that's the most exciting thing on the planet, isn't it? So whatever, you know, we come up with in-house, my contract stipulates I have to do a certain amount of stuff every year, you know, because I'm full-time within the company. And I'll I'll hit them with seven ideas a year, you know, like seven concepts a year, and I'll do three or four of them a year as comics as well. And like, uh, and the guys have just said, everyone they've said, yeah, let's go make that. And and I love it. The, the most exciting word for a creative person is yes. Isn't yeah, it? You know, yeah. So some, so it's kind of the opposite of what happened in the studios. Like what would happen was studios would buy my stuff. Yeah. You know, like I sold the rights, or you know, temporarily sold the rights to uh, various projects I'd done over the years. Yeah. And they would sit there, you know, they would maybe pay somebody a screenwriter to come in and maybe a director develops them and everything. And I assumed they would get made. Yeah. But you realise the way the system works is, is something like one in 25 projects that gets options, yeah. gets made into a movie. So these things were gathered sort in of gathering dust and you were getting a nice wee chunk of money for it and everything. But it's not the same as seeing your thing getting out there. And like, um, Netflix is the opposite. They actually make 95% of What they start, wow, start sort of developing. Awesome. I mean, that's incredible, you know. Yeah. So, they're very careful about what they start working on because yeah. they tend to finish it, yeah. Know? So, um, so it's a brilliant environment. I mean, I'm not kidding, like, I'm a guy, I'm a guy who's avoided a job his whole life. I've yeah. never had a job, yeah. The closest I've ever come to this is when I was a student, I was a postman for five days, yeah, and that was it. And Amazing. I've never had a job, so this is the first time I've actually had a job, and I'm like, maybe I should have done this 29
0: years ago. Yeah. This is brilliant, I so, love it. it was, so, let's kind of go back on that a little bit and how does a young a young man in scotland become like one of the, the biggest names in in comic book it's, it's it's kind of it's a weird one because on paper it sounds strange but yeah. then you think the people i'd put in kind of the legend status i i, I put you in there um but would be <laughs> alan moore or oh, oh, warren ellis yeah, warren garth Lewis. ennis yeah. um Morrison, you know all these people, and they're all from the UK, Ireland, Scotland, yeah. kind of all that yeah. kind of so world. Yeah. And, and now we've got people like I think Declan Shalvey's amazing and exciting, and and and, and Kieran Gillen and, and and Jamie McKilvey and all these. So the UK, Scotland, Ireland, Britain, all of these does seem to be a real bed for some of the biggest names in comic books around the world, and comic books partly because of the films, I guess now. Yeah have such an American feel to it as an industry. Yeah, yeah. Yet you start to look at who's writing them and there's a lot of, of, of names from what? this cold island. Do you, I think there's two reasons for it? I think one that's interesting, that it was only when
1: you said the names that I started to suddenly realise the pattern is yeah. we're all working class. Yeah. We're all kids who went to comprehensive schools, lived in council house estates, yeah. had blue collar parents. Who had no money, yeah. and I th- and I know this. Uh, it sounds crass, but I think there's something in that, yeah. which is that one comics wasn't despised. Let's see, my middle class friends, the yeah. British middle class friends, they were kind of they, they were told their parents threw out their comics yeah. and things. You know, you yeah, always hear yeah, those yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. And and my parents were like, "No, that costs you twenty five pence. I'm not throwing that." <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> silly. So so their like attitude was like there was no such thing as trash culture in their house. Like yeah. My mum and dad loved Billy Wilder films. But at the same time, they loved me reading Superman comics. You know, all culture was good culture in my house. And I think that's what's quite nice. There's something just very fair about working class culture, I think, you know. So the idea of being a comic writer, especially growing up in the 80s, would have been appalling, probably, to some yeah. people I know parents, you know? But my parents, when I told them when I was a kid that's what I wanted to do, they were thrilled. They thought, oh, yeah. was yeah, cool. There's something you're into, you know, that you like. So I think there's a, there's a nice thing about working class that I think we're a wee bit riskier.
0: Yeah. Because we've almost nothing to lose. M- you know, we grow up with M- nothing to lose. <laughs> M- <laughs> M- <laughs> M- <laughs> my uncle was one of the first label managers of, of Trojan Records. Yeah. And when he came home and told my nan, she was so proud and so amazed... Yeah. And we only found out months later, she thought that meant he was in charge of sticking the labels on the <laughs> records. She genuinely thought, but still had the pride, still had that excitement. There wasn't yeah. any, oh, you should be working in an office. Or you should be like, oh, you're a label manager. That means you're the top guy putting the labels on It's like, no, he's, he's running it. Well, it's the same thing happened with me. I bumped into one of my old
1: pals from school. And I was heading on a flight down to London. Yeah. And like, uh, he says, maybe are you off to? I was, I was just getting the train to the airport. And he said, I said, oh, I've got an interview down in London. And it was just when things were starting to take off for me. I was just yeah. starting to work at Marvel, and he says, "Oh, I really hope you get the job. That'd be great." And I was like, "No, it's an interview for a magazine." <laughs> you know, yeah. So, because like, yeah. it's just unthinkable that somebody would be interviewing you, you know, in the kind of the yeah. world that I grew up in, you know. So, yeah. um, but I think that's good. But the other thing, I think that the thing that cannot be like uh, said too much is Alan Moore. Yeah, like when the Beatles broke out, you know, back in the sixties, you had all the Beatles copycat bands, and then people influenced by those guys, and then people influenced by those guys, and it created a whole scene that didn't exist before. But it just takes one fish to crawl from the sea onto the land, and then suddenly other things are starting to do this, isn't it? You know, and Alan Moore was that. I think Alan Moore was the. It's the first time. It's incredible to me that you could actually
0: live in the UK and work. For somebody like DC or Marvel, all it takes is one person to let you know it's possible. It, exactly. And, then it's, other, and again, that's the negative side of working class yeah. um, upbringings: is that so much seems out of reach and unattainable and unimaginable. Yeah. Like you're not told. Like where, where I lived, it's an hour from London. So yeah. all we were taught was you're trying to get a job in London. <laughs> and thankfully, I had family who were working class who just wanted us to just have jobs that make us happy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's that seeing things as as unattainable. So having that one person in Alan, who's like, yeah. oh no, it's possible, this yeah. weird dude from Northampton <laughs> is, kind of, is making yeah. it work, that that opens your eyes up, right, and puts it on the table, well, it gives you something to chase. It, it seemed as as crazy as, you know, growing up it seemed as
1: far away, the idea of working in DC or Marvel or something out in the States, as saying I'm going to be a space pilot, I'm going yeah. to be Buck Rogers or something like that, it just it seemed like a, a dream but something that was unobtainable. And then I remember a, a comic shop opening in Glasgow, and then Alan Moore coming to uh, do a talk and a signing. Oh, yeah. and, and 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 I, I remember I was just reading his comics uh, at the time. I, I just literally just picked up my first one, and I got. He was not famous enough at that point that he was completely mobbed. So I actually got some time with him. I got an hour Amazing. with him, right and it was, it was so generous with his time. I was thirteen, right? So imagine how annoying yeah. I was, right? I was thirteen <laughs> yeah. and just asking him hundreds of questions,
0: and, and brand new and to it, it as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and he was he was really enthusiastic about everything he was doing. So he just started working on Swamp Thing. He was uh, I'd, I'd read a couple of wee things he'd done in British yeah. comics, you know, so, uh, and I was amazed that he was working on Swamp Thing, which I didn't know. And I think issue twenty six had just come out that week, right? right. And they was telling me about his plans for like a Superman annual and various projects that never saw the light of day. There was a few things like Marshall Manhunter and things he'd been talking about doing. And I didn't have the money to buy Swamp Thing. And I always remember it was about 45 pence, right? And I didn't have the cash because I just did my train fare home back to my house because I was only 13. And he said to me, I'll get it for you. And he bought um, the issue and I said, could you sign it for me? And I still have it. It's like probably my most treasured comic. And he signed it to me and everything. And and it's only in hindsight recently, I was talking to somebody about this literally a few weeks ago, that I sent my first submission into DC in the end of 1983, and I actually wrote and drew and lettered a comic and sent it in, a Superman mm. comic. And I thought, I did it about a week after meeting Alan Moore, and I think it was just because I thought, oh, he did it and this is a possibility for me yeah. now. And I hadn't even tweaked My first rejection letter came a few weeks later, but that's what started the ball rolling. And he did it for everybody, I think, for Grant, for Neil, for Garth, for yeah. Warren... P. Melligan, you know, all these guys. Alan Moore was was the first crack in the dam that allowed us all through. He's he's
0: such an amazing figure. If if, if you've got any time over the Christmas break, have a listen to him on the podcast because he does this spoken word piece that he claims he hadn't done since the 70s pretty much and he's like, I can remember it and it's kind of because I met, because I I did spoken word and I did some gigs with um, Alan, him doing some speeches on magic and stuff like that and I could just him, he was kind of, I do remember it. And I kind of paused a bit and went, do you want to do it? <laughs> I I kind of off, off the cuff? Yeah, coffee off the cuff. It's amazing. And imagine I'm sitting in Anna Moore's living room yeah, yeah.
1: as he's just doing this amazing piece. <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. Well, was it was it stuff from his Northampton Arts Labs days? Was it yes, that stuff, yes right? it was. Yeah. I remember
0: reading about that, but I never yeah. actually. I'll have to check that out. It's That's amazing. Way, it's yeah. so good. And he's such a, again, he's been someone who's just been so uh, welcoming. at uh, One of his... Daughters, I believe, has got a tattoo of one of my lyrics and stuff oh, really? like that. So yes. I've really, I've been welcomed in in that way. And i yeah. like, can't believe I snuck in the back door to get <laughs> to, to get in with these
1: people. I had I had a comic convention a few weeks ago in my hometown, yeah. like uh, where I grew up, in the housing estate that I grew up in. And Lee and Amber both came yeah. up, actually. Yeah, like it's Alan's, Amber. Alan's yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and
0: I'd never met them.
1: And yeah. it's funny, you don't always read about them and things over yeah. the years, but they were such sweethearts. They were absolutely brilliant. We really yeah. got on. We all went for a pizza that night. And I love it.
0: That's yeah. fantastic. Well, I mean, I do want to get on to marvel but before we get there i think it's an exciting thing at the moment and but i think we're just on the cusp of it the the way superhero movies or comic book movies are blown up becomes a, a, such a big thing yeah we're very in success but i i'm a, I go and see all of them yeah, i can't help yeah. myself i adore them all um have you have you caught aquaman yet i know you were I went the other day yeah it. yeah the only thing no, I, I haven't seen yesterday. is venom
1: i haven't yeah. seen venom and it's like my spider senses tell me to stay away from that one. You know, I really like, yeah. enjoyed it. And really? Venom is, is, is my favorite. He, like Venom is my is
0: my, my is my favorite comic. Right. So I was really nervous. Now right. I know a lot of the people involved, so yeah. I was kind of I had more nerves because it's like right. I know Riz. I know I've worked with Tom Hardy, and yeah. he was in one of the, the first TV things I did. And Kelly, who's one of the writers, starts so nervous. Yeah. And I don't know if that helped it because again, I've seen mixed reviews. I've seen some yeah. people hating it. I've seen some loving it. But the thing for me was. It's quite a confused movie, right? Yeah, but again, I enjoyed that. It kind of it, <laughs> ch- it changes genre about five times, but <laughs> it's a weird journey. But I don't know how you cannot enjoy it by the end. Right. Like, I, I had numerous worries along the way, and by the yeah. end, I was like, "So when's the next one? Wow. I need so what, to see the next it? one." Yeah yeah, 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 I was kind yeah. of ex- excited for it. Right. So yeah, but yeah. Um, I think what's what we're seeing with the Netflix deal with Millerworld and there's exciting the the 2000 AD thing, they've they've built a studio or something and there's going to be, there's going to be a whole production company essentially of 2000 AD work of Judge Dredd of a whole world there of a a Mega City One series and all this kind of thing. So how exciting is it for you as someone to be in the midst of all that? Because it felt at first as if it's only going to be, I guess it's because of how bright and shiny it was. Yeah. It will just be Marvel and DC. Yes. But I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of Smaller and more independent yeah. content and, and 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 properties that maybe wouldn't have been taken a risk on previously. Yeah, it is getting some money injected into it, and oh, and I, I'd up. say
1: even more so because yeah. if you think about it, Marvel and DC have almost burned through all their big A list characters, yeah. and they've burned through most of their B list ones now, yeah. and now they're onto their C list ones in some yeah. cases. And people are, like mm, you know, it's, it's, there's much more interest in A list independent
0: stuff mm-hmm. out there that. And I mean, they're really pushing to make the not as big. I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Aquaman, but yeah. Aquaman wasn't someone previously as excited to, to the go br- and see, <laughs> yet they've made it. Thor Aquarock as, as essentially yeah. is how it feels it's kind of they've gone let's see what we can make this, this piece. it's going to make a billion dollars yeah, I mean, there's not yeah. a, who'd have dreamed
1: there would even be an Aquaman movie Yeah, never mind it's going to make a billion dollars yeah. But who'd have dreamed there'd be a Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant-Man movie well, Thor well, was you know, one yeah? that's,
0: I, I didn't know how they'd make that work initially and it's, it seems weird now yeah. with hindsight yeah. but when they first announced it I was like it's such a weird kit. Like, I love yeah. it, but how's that going to work on screen? But they managed it. But right?
1: what I love though is that it's moving away from superheroes, which is yeah. quite weird. As somebody who loves superheroes so much, yeah. but imagine every single TV show was a cop drama. Yeah, and yeah. you know, you switch the TV on at five o'clock or eleven o'clock, whatever channel. It's a cop drama. You'd, you'd lose your mind, right? Yeah, and I, and I think the diversification of you know the medium is is yeah. really interesting because it's hard to believe now, but even twenty years ago it was unthinkable to be doing comics that weren't superheroes. You know, you had a wee bit of a horror line, but it didn't really sell very much at Vertigo, Mm -hmm. Uh, generally. You know, Sandman uh, was a big hit, but everything else just stayed above break even, really, you know. Um, So now that we can do comics about anything, I mean, I don't think we really appreciate it. It's because I I started in the 90s and I know how narrow it was. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that you can literally come up with a comic about anything now, and if... If it's any good, it will pretty much find an audience enough to yeah. keep it afloat, you know. Yeah, and that's amazing, right? I mean, I don't think it's certainly in my lifetime. Comics has ever been like that. Yeah. And then you've got the added thing of the fact that the movie people are looking for new and original material yeah. that they haven't seen before. So the quirkier stuff, actually, the more personal stuff, is what tends to get made into movies. Yeah. People think you you do come you get a comic book adaptation by being a big Hollywood generic thing, but it's completely the opposite. If you look at the non Marvel DC stuff that's been yeah. made into films. It's like your your wanted, your kick ass, your Hellboy, yeah, you know, your yeah. Sin City, is even Ghost World, yeah. you know, it's the really personal projects and the unusual stuff that Hollywood's coming for. So in terms of being a comic book creator, in this 90, 100 years that it's existed in this kind of form, it's never been a better time than what we're in yeah. right now. It's so exciting. How
0: how how's your kind of how's it changed? Because I I really. I think it was on Twitter or or, or something you kind of summed it up or I might have read it in an interview that that you're now getting to kind of you're writing for TV or film or whatever and the comics are kind of a bonus as such whereas previously it was comics can we get this turned interesting whereas now and that I loved it being put like that because it's like well essentially we're releasing the scripts as such but it just happens that they're comic books and they're these amazing things Mm -hmm. in and of themselves so How's that changed your kind of approach and are you thinking differently to how you write because of the idea of it being filmed rather than only existing on paper? No,
1: not at all. To me, a story is a story. You know, it's like, if it's a spoken word and it's it's written down, if it's a TV drama or whatever, it's got a beginning, a middle and an end, some interesting characters, you know? And I I never even think about the medium. No matter what I'm writing, I never think about the medium. I just always think about the story. So when I used to write... The Avengers characters and the Ultimates yeah. or whatever any of those things are doing Marvel Civil War, I didn't think about these things eventually becoming Marvel movies or anything. You yeah. know, I just always thought what would be an interesting story to tell, and then I would do it in comic form. And uh, people used to always say to me, "Oh, th- because they were all getting made into movies, you know, you're only writing these things to be films." And I was like, "How do you just write something <laughs> to be a film? And if and if there was a formula,
0: everybody would be doing it. You yeah. just write what's interesting to you, yeah. you know. And they happen to be the kind of
1: things that the film guys like, and they they make films of." But it's actually quite refreshing now because my, my new job at Netflix, after we sold the company, there's a new job that I did as a separate deal. Is nothing to do with comics originally, right. you know? And they just said we'd like you to come in and create some films and create some TV shows for us. And that's what I do. That's what I've been doing for the last, you know, for 16 months. And I said, look, I love comics. I can all these years that I'm planning to be at Netflix, and we've got very ambitious plans over a long time, right? And I, I said, I can't be away from comics. And yeah. they said, But you know, go straight to film and TV. And I was like, no, but all all my life when I was a kid I sat and drew my own comics and I'm like, I can't take a decade out of my life and not do comics so they carved the thing into my deal where well, they will let me make some of the TV shows and things I'm creating also comic books Yeah. so I'll do three or four a year like I said wow. so it's kind of the opposite now yeah, what I'm yeah, doing yeah, is yeah, I'm, write, yeah. I'm writing stuff for a film that I occasionally will turn into a comic too yeah. you know? and I love that because it's a kind of two fingers to everybody it says you only did it to get movie deals yeah. like, I've got the movie deals I don't need to do the comics to get them yeah, completely.
0: <laughs> so how is it because... I'm, I'm I'm sure that when you're starting off in, in comics, you dream of getting hold of the Avengers or yeah. of, all, of all these characters that, yeah. that you door. and you got to, to, to do that. I mean, the Ultimates is my favourite okay. s- superhero run. I just I'd always had characters I liked and didn't like, and that just mm. seemed to bring the best out of all of them for, for me. So how was that to kind of go? All right, I've got. I've got hold of all of these people for these... And, yeah. and Civil War, another one, for these huge extended stories. Yeah. How was that? And then is that why you kind of decided to go off and do k- kick-ass and, and your own stuff? Because what more are you going to do in the to, in the superhero world? If you've got to do that, what more can you do? To some extent, but I'll tell you, weirdly, I didn't get into the industry
1: to do my own characters, which is quite unusual. Yeah. All I wanted to do was the stuff I loved growing up, you yeah. know? And I talked to my friends in comics and they'd be like, Oh yeah, but you know, I did that Marvel stuff or this DC stuff so I could really do my own projects. And I understand that now, now that I've done it. But when I was a kid, I would just be sitting drawing Superman and and the idea of maybe one day getting to contribute to that vast body of stories that make up Superman. That was, that was it. There was nothing else I wanted. Superman for me in particular, you know, that's what I really wanted to be doing. So once I got there, it is a bit like that thing where you climb Everest and then you look around. And you've climbed Everest, kind of thing. You know, so getting to do all the Marvel characters, getting to do Superman, you are ticking off a bucket list of things, you know. But the reason actually that I I jumped, there's two things. One's creatively because I thought, well, I don't have a great third year for the Ultimates. Two good years for it, you know. Two good volumes. Yeah, I actually took six years for it to come out, you know, but (laughs) but it was only supposed to be two years. Yeah, and like uh, but I didn't have one that I thought would be better than the one that came before. I thought Ultimates Two was really good. Yeah, and my philosophy is actually quite brutal with myself, where I think if I can't do better than what I've done. I'll leave. And Joe Quesada at Marvel says, "Man, you crazy?" He says, "Ultimates is making you all this money. You know, you're getting all these royalties. It was doing great. You know." And uh, he said to me, "Why would you not do a third year?" And I was like, "I don't think I can do better than Ultimates, too. You know." I, and Old Man Logan was the same. Like yeah. they said to me, "Old Man Logan, I think is I think it's Marvel's second biggest selling graphic novel. Yeah. I think uh, Civil War's number one. I think it's number two. So why do you want to do the sequel?" And I was like, "I don't think I can do a better one than the
0: first I, one." I, and I don't. It sounds so ridiculous, but I, c- I really am brutal with myself. I couldn't, I couldn't it, relate yeah. more. I, yeah. I did where I, I, again, anytime I post anything online now, I'll have people saying, yeah. are you doing any more music soon? Yeah. My last album was my favourite that I've made, yeah. the biggest commercial success. And our, our last gig yeah. was 10,000 people, all knew the words, knew it was our last gig. Yeah. So for me, I can't go back. I'd like, <laughs> I, I can't just do another gig because yeah. it's like, well, that was perfect. Yeah. That's my last gig at the moment. Yeah. I've, I've nailed it. I've won the game. I can walk away. <laughs> but it's the same with music. People say to me a lot online, "I'd love to hear some new music." And I co- I correct them in the plattest way possible, going, "No, you'd love to hear some good new music yeah. from me. Yeah. You wouldn't just like to hear some new music from me." And honestly, if I write some good new music, you'll yeah. hear it. I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not going to hide it away. But if I don't, I'll leave yeah. it where it is and have that kind of that plateau of going. That's 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 or the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle. Yeah. I can... I can now go off and do something else, create in another way. Well, it's it's like I mean, and it's not even that it's the best thing
1: that's been done. It's just it's the best you can do. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, So it's I'm not saying like that's the perfect Wolverine story. Yeah. But it's the best one I can do, and yeah. I don't think I can top myself. Like I did one before it. I did one called Enemy of the State that yeah. I was really happy with with John Romita, who yeah. I love, one of my pals. And I'm so proud of it, it's a great book, but I think I topped it with Old Man Logan and then I thought, right, I'm checking out now, yeah. I don't think I can top it. Yeah. And I spoke to pals who are writers who said to me, but why don't you maybe do a couple of years and there might be a lull in the middle and then you find your voice again and then you come back in the second year and you're really pumped up again, you've got some great new energy from it. And I was like, but I don't want the lull. I don't want I don't want to be treading that's, water for six months or whatever. I mean, you know,
0: it's, if, if I'm not 100% passionate going in, don't do it. That's hugely exciting to hear, given your new role, because... Mm-hmm. I absolutely adore Netflix, but my bugbear is so, so many of the series have a mid-season lull, and right, it's like yeah. I understand that on old-style t- yeah. a, a TV shows because you've got twelve weeks to fill or whatever else. Yeah. But the beauty of Netflix, of what they did with the OA and stuff like yeah. that, was it can be any format. It can be you, you can have a ten-minute episode, you can have a, a sixty-minute yeah. episode, you can really just pull things apart. Yeah. So it feels exciting. That and again, I found it with a few a t- a TV shows I'd taken places. That the feedback I was getting was, oh, we've kind of it's kind of a ten PM show, and I'm mm. like, that that doesn't exist. And like, with the greatest respect, <laughs> yeah. there's no such thing anymore. You, you, and, but yeah. I think the industry is slowly changing in that direction yeah. to realise. So it's good to hear that kind yeah. of outlook of you don't want to just go well, as said, let's let's coast it for a bit and then mm. see where it comes. It's like, no, let's make it perfect for what it is. If we planned twelve episodes and it ends up being ten, yeah, then it's ten. Brilliant episodes. I'd rather do that than go, well, we got the 12 we promised. Exactly. The the, the money doesn't matter, you yeah. know, because the money will
1: stop if you do bad work. You yeah. know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. So you just got, you trim it down, trim the yeah. fat down. That might have been a great eight, it might have been a decent eight issues, but it yeah. might be a better six issues. Yeah. Yeah. And will you get paid less for six than eight? Yes, but it will be better, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's always my philosophy. And <laughs> it's the same with telly as well. Like, I mean, Jupiter's Legacy, um, we, we had, a, I don't know, I think it's probably too early to talk about the. The actual number of episodes we're doing per season, but that was one of the things we thought, right? Let's make it so tight yeah. that you're weeping at the end of the season because it was so good. That was like the best few hours of your life. So you can't wait for the next season. It's you, the you're not coasting to to through it. three episodes. Season, yeah, so, yeah. It's the
0: perfect way to approach it. It's, it's yeah. realizing that uh, the formats and structures of art are there to help it, not restrict it or not weaken yeah. it. So if the structure is 12 episodes, then great, but not if that's stretching it or or weakening it if it works for it then that's great but if not trim things down makes it so
1: interesting to me though because you rethink everything right i mean like the reason films are two hours long yeah is because that's how long that people used to sit in a a, a theater you know because that's how long a play roughly was so films became the same length of time as a play because that's what people were used to for a night out they go for dinner go and see a movie come back home you know so The actual two-hour thing was actually pre-ordained from Victorian times, you know, for a film. And then television comes and television surprises everybody by It's like, well, it's not a night out, so we can make these things an hour, you know. And even a comedy works quite well in a short verse, so you drop it down to a half hour. But it's actually quite specifically 25 minutes because you need to work adverts in and things like that. And you also, because of a a schedule, you have to be on the hour Mm -hmm. and the half hour and everything, you know. But then streaming changes all that stuff because nothing starts at a particular time so there's no reason something can't be 104 minutes long and there's no reason something can't be 17 minutes long it's 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 suddenly like chapters in a book isn't it it's just as many pages as you want and I love that ground zero approach and that's what Netflix is really interesting like My wife and I work together, we work as a team, you know, and she handles the business side, I handle the creative side. And we always feel that when we walk in and sit at the meetings, we always come out blown away whenever we go to LA. We come back and we're like, I can't believe how much they're rethinking everything. It's just like a blank piece of paper. And and that's what's so exciting. And like I say, I compare it to Hollywood in the early 20s because... It's a bunch of people making it up as they're going along. And that's, yeah. there's nothing cooler than being in on that. In 10, 20 years' time, it might be different. There might be all these rules in place and everything. But right now, it's the Wild West. And yes. that's my favourite place. It's
0: yeah. so exciting. And I hope it continues in in, in that way. The, the, there's this, a, a, a script I've written at the moment. And I know that the first time people read it, they're going to go, It hasn't got enough to rule you in. But it's like, No, I've planned the whole series. Yeah. I don't want right. to, I want to do that. St- Stephen Knight kind of approach, all these where yeah. it's a slow build, have the confidence to, to write a, a lot like that. And I think for a long time, pilot season in America ruined that artistic approach because yes. yeah. you had to go, you've, you've got, got one episode to reel them in. And I'm like, I would rather write, assuming I'm going to tell eight yeah. episodes and then go, well, we might only have one. It's like, no, <laughs> if it's only one, then let's not do it. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? I'd, I'd rather just have that kind yeah. of, that, that outlook, but it's, it's changing because of things be- like Netflix because yeah. you can go, I'll, if there's a new series, I'll probably give it four or five episodes yeah. and then then decide if I like it or not. Yeah. That's how ridiculous it is now. That's four or five hours ago. No, I'm not feeling it. I mean, whereas previously, you'd watch a bit of the first or the first week on BBC yeah. One and then go, no, it didn't grab me.
1: See, I'm still quite brutal, actually. Yeah. Like, I find, like, see if something hasn't got me within 20 minutes. That's yeah. my twi- I've got a 20-minute rule. And if yeah. I'm not into it, my wife and I have a thing where, it's, her, it's actually her idea more than mine, actually. you know? yeah. <laughs> She says... I don't want you to sort of disappear for 15 hours watching something. You know, yeah. and you're living your own life watching yeah, this yeah, show, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we just watch things together? You know, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. this was years back. So we always sort of agree about 20 minutes into a show when we're starting something new. We're like, the end into this? And I'm like, not really. And, and we'll stick it off and then we'll try something else. So,
0: but our tastes tend to be it's, pretty similar. It's the key so having that agreement. Because yeah. the worst <laughs> thing is when you're sitting watching something thinking, I'm not enjoying this, but... Yeah. But she probably is, so I don't it's like the fact that you have that agreement in 20 minutes we're gonna review. Are you feeling no I'm not? Let's fuck it off then. Rather than you both get to the end and go, I was wanting to turn it off the whole time. I can't think of a single thing that we've
1: disagreed <laughs> on, though. No. I can't like we we, we tend we get on really well, but like uh but I can't think of a single show that I was like I'd like to continue this, you know? Like the Daredevil show was the most recent thing yeah. that we both loved. Like I we loved really Daredevil season way. three is amazing. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And we really we're really really fussy like see I, I was actually talking to pals about this recently that since about 1997 right I kind of counted back about 20, 21 years I realised only I've watched about 18 TV shows yeah. and I think I watch about one a year Yeah, I love the Americans I love Sopranos I love The Wire all the stuff you'd imagine Bad Men all the really great you watched things. The Shield are you into The Shield at all? It's the thing
0: that me and I annoyed a lot of Garth Ennis fans because yeah. he doesn't do a lot of podcasts Right, and I had him on I was excited but Oh, you've had Garth. I've had Garth. Garth. I I love Garth. I know Warren, I know Alan, but I didn't know Garth. So it was like, but I was a big fan and Alan has set it up. Or no, Warren 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 had set it up. And then about halfway through, he mentioned The Shield, or I mentioned The Shield. And it's one of my favourite TV shows. But in the UK, it's really underrated because it was on Channel 5. And it was at the point when Channel 5 was crashing. Everyone ignored it. But it was amazing. And we just spent about 20 minutes just talking about The Shield. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got an hour with him. He's going to be <laughs> furious because we're not talking about the boys preaching all this amazing stuff. I'm like, how about this episode?
1: Like, but the funny thing is, you know what <laughs> he thinks about the boys, don't you? It's like, yeah. I'd rather hear, for example, when you're doing Alan Moore, yeah. I'd rather hear what Alan Moore thought of Avatar or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Because I know what he thinks of you from there. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? so of it's of quite
0: interesting that insight on somebody yeah. who you like. It's what I love about podcasts is that yeah. freedom to make yeah. just open conversation. They're not just trying to sell you something. Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. I've
1: got a new book out this week. You know, you're that just was talking.
0: The first person i had on was a, a russell brand and i've uh-huh. known no russell while he's from near me and yeah. I, we, we, we agree on some things and disagree hugely others but i knew that even russell couldn't stay in promo mode for a full 90 minutes <laughs> so the first 10 minutes he's literally like that's funny and uh, let me read you a section from my book and doing all this <laughs> bullshit promo stuff but 20 30 minutes in yeah. we're talking about how intimidated he felt in crowds at football as a teen and right, how yeah. he built this bravado because he was around these burly men and he wasn't and all this kind of thing. like mm-hmm. there you go you can't, you can't maintain the bullshit for, for a full 90 minutes but that's what I love about old interviews like
1: I quite often when I should be working during the day you know I've like got to YouTube yeah. and I'll watch the Parkinson interviews from yeah. 1974 or something and you'll get a guy from the Carry On films like Kenneth Williams talking about the miners strike or something yeah. you know and it's just like he's not selling anything it's no. just that he got a phone call two hours before it. The, the American guest they booked isn't there, yeah. and they bring in Kenneth Williams. And to me, that's always the most
0: interesting chat, isn't it? When you yeah. just
1: hear about the person instead yeah. of what yeah, they've yeah. got coming up. Completely, yeah. just having having those
0: conversations. Um, you, you mentioned Daredevil. Was it the, did Stephen at uh, work on the first season, was Because yes. he's, he's working with you guys he's, on, on... He's, he's on, our main guy now, you know. It's yeah. exciting, right, because he's just amazing. That, that first series of Daredevil... With that scene in the oh. corridor, where the first time I've seen a fight scene where the the main guy gets tired and there's yeah. exhaustion, and that yeah. was just just that simple thing just made me go, like, wow. And keeping the camera there on that yeah. one spot, it's as if you
1: were a you were a voyeur just yeah. watching this yeah. happen in front of you. And superheroes, there's a language to it that's that's almost boring in cinema now. Sometimes, yeah. like I almost switch off in the action scenes in Marvel movies yeah. now because I it's like, just some CGI stuff that's being prepared. Was the way I had was of so time. great about.
0: Thor Ragnarok was yeah. they added. It, j- 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 the comedy was what yeah. got me. The comedy yeah. and the, the quirkiness was what. And Guardians is another example. Yeah. Amazing action, but it's not what I'm tuning in for.
1: No, but, but isn't, isn't it amazing when it is good? Yeah. You know, that when the action is good, you're really like, <gasps> I've never seen that before. Yeah. And Aquaman and most Marvel movies, all this kind of thing, you've got a big CGI set piece at the end and you slightly. You almost tune out, don't you? Because you know thing. what's happening, the camera goes yeah. back and there's big ships crashing into things yeah. and all that. But. Daredevil actually managed to keep you more. Yeah. they elevated it with the action scenes because yeah. I can remember 5%. every frame of that fight in that corner yeah. I and mean, when he takes that kid away at the end, it was such yeah. a nice black and white kind of, here's bad people and he's taking this kid away from the bad people was, yeah. and you feel really good at the end of that episode.
0: Then, it's, the of it. it's the simplicity of it, it's the not trying to go, oh here's obviously there is a high concept in it being a one shot and that kind of thing, but yeah. it's the simplicity of not trying to go over the top, it's, yeah. as you said it's we're getting the kid away from there and people are fighting. Yeah. Just put the camera on it. Don't go bang, bang, bang and cut and go all over the place. Let's just show them it and it becomes unflinching. You can't, you're not allowed to look away. It's weird to compare it to directors like Gaspar Noe but Gaspar Noe had a film called Irreversible which had a horrible and controversial rape scene in it but what was powerful about it was he didn't let you look away. He let it play out and his argument was it should uncomfortable to have yeah. things like that in film. You shouldn't be a sinner eating your popcorn. and Go, oh, there was a rape, there's a murder. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It should be, and that's what the kind of the feel of that Daredevil scene yeah. was. It was this genuine threat and violence that you can't just go, yeah, this is a laugh. It's like, oh, this is brutal. Anything this is, can happen, isn't it? You know,
1: because yeah. you know when you're watching. The Flash or something like that, yeah. you know, that he's going to be alright, he'll be yeah. fine at the end. But th- you're watching this and you're thinking, he's looking a bit exhausted, he's out of breath and yeah, all that. Yeah. And it is like you're just seeing it happen in real life in front of you, isn't it? And he might die here, so your tension is really ratcheted yeah. up I think, you know? that I loved it. And having the night now on Jupiter's Legacy is amazing Like because, you know, when you sell your company it's a big thing. I mean, this is like, there's 17 franchises there, you and know? And a scary thing, also right? Because yeah, again, it,
0: particularly in the comic book industry, it's the same. I, I grew up uh, li- listening to punk yeah. And then getting into wrestling and things like that. Yeah. All of those things, as soon as, you, as, you, as you're successful, yeah. people are turning on you a bit. Or people are like, oh, you've sold out, you've done this and done that. So yeah. that's the ultimate thing if you've made your own company successful yeah. and then you've sold it and this and that. So
1: well, I never expected it for 20 more years. I mean, it was always yeah. my plan. Ultimately, it yeah. was my
0: plan. So I
1: thought it would be when I'm like 60 or something. You know, I thought it was a few yeah. years down the line. And what we did was we actually spent a wee bit of time, like just flying out and spending time with the prospective buyers, because it became evident very quickly that what they wanted was me to stay on in some capacity. You know, yeah. um, once the deal was done and it had been sold, you know, I started having conversations about the idea of hanging around, you know, and yeah. and, and taking on a, a brand new job, distinct from the sale, as a, as a yeah. whole separate deal. And I started to think, you know, if I'm going to be spending years of my life better make sure I like these guys so when Netflix became the the, the most likely ones I started hanging out with them literally just going for dinner going for drinks with all the people who who were in charge of it and it was like hanging out with my pals like I walked into other studios over the years and it's very much a sort of boss relationship you know somebody's going to say well maybe consider putting some money behind one of your projects You know, but Netflix it was literally just like sitting at a bar and having having fun with your pals and when you're sitting in the office with them it felt very much like Marvel in the early days when I first started there where people were just spitballing ideas and everything and I thought I could hang out with these guys you know. so when when they made us that offer um, to come on and and take the exec job as well I thought this is a once in a lifetime part of me was thinking you should take a holiday you'll be working pretty hard for a few years and everything got young kids and maybe spend more time with the kids then I thought you know, I'll spend less time with the kids. <laughs> yeah, I, made, and, and I made the executive decision. It's <laughs> yeah. um, and and, and it's, it's been brilliant.
0: I love that. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to talk about as well, in a world where Stranger Things is one of the biggest and most yeah. adored shows of all time, um, Ready Player One was one of the, the, the biggest films of last year. In a world where you have a great relationship with Netflix and Netflix had a great relationship with Marvel... Why hasn't there been a 1985 standalone miniseries? Because 1985 was just, it was the most... It's so perfect for, for telling those stories, I guess. Nobody cares about it. I'm the only, so, you, no, you and me are the only people that care about it's it. So great. It's so It's an so XP story. perfect. And particularly with, as I said, it was uh, s- seeing things like Ready Player One yeah. where you are having that thing of, oh, we're taking stuff from the creative world yeah. s- and all these and it's all appearing and all that. It just... Made me even more think that this is, it's the perfect time for that. that it's such a good little joke. I would like to ex- explain quickly what the, what the kind of story or how you came up with that kind of Well, idea. I actually
1: had a really nice time at Marvel, to give you a wee bit of history on it. What's happened was, like, I'd been poached for Marvel um, when I was working at DC. I was actually offered a staff job at DC. It was, it was really interesting. I've rarely talked about this. Yeah. But what happened was in uh, 2000, the Authority... Um, was was a really cool comic that Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch yeah. created, which is, I think, probably, I'd say,
0: pretty much the best comic in the um, last thirty years. You um, know, it's it's my, brilliant. My obsession for a long time, and I talk about it too much on the podcast, so yeah. I'll touch upon it briefly. Is that at some point someone needs to realize that an adult, dark, scary movie of The Midnighter, yeah, w- 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 are with me in the lead role because he's yeah. my has to be made because <laughs> it's just so so perfect. And now and it's so edgy and yeah. yeah anyway, perfect. but yeah. And, and like, uh, it's like interesting Batman.
1: It's more interesting yeah, Batman than yeah, completely, completely. But like, um, you know, so this, this book, I mean, I, I'd been around for about 11 years at this point. I'd come in when I was 19. I was 30 by this point. Nobody was really that interested in what I was doing. Like, I was keeping my head above the water and I was doing runs on books that nobody was really buying. Like, I was having a good time. I was enjoying doing things like Superman Adventures. Yeah. But I remember cancellation point was seventeen thousand, and my sales were always about seventeen thousand four hundred like every month. Yeah. I used to phone up the editor and say I was still afloat, and they'd be like, "Yeah, you can write one more issue." Mm-hmm. So it was really weird, you know. The the whole of my twenties was like that; just nobody cared. Yeah. And and then weirdly, I was almost checking out. You know, yes. I was like, I don't think this is working for me at all. You know, nobody's interested. And um, Authority year two was a bit of a poison chalice almost because year one was amazing because Brian and Warren are are so great, you know. And uh, Frank Whiteley and I did year two and I think it was where I suddenly learned how to actually approach pop culture, which is instead of chasing what I think an audience might want, which I'd done for 11 years, I actually thought I'm going to write the kind of story I'm interested in myself. And if nobody's interested, okay, fair enough, this is goodbye. So I wrote it and it... The sales on it actually went up a little bit, yeah. And I was like, "This is really weird," you know. And it was actually, you know, very slowly going up in circulation at a time when the industry in general was just having a decline, you know. And Marvel were suddenly very interested, yeah. and they said to me, "You know, Joe Quesada had just been made editor in chief and everything." And Marvel was kind of teetering on bankruptcy. People's checks were genuinely bouncing wow. and stuff. It, things were really bad at Marvel. And Joe said to me, "How would you like to come over and have a great time with us?" for less money <laughs> and I was like what? and and I had no money at all at the time and my, yeah. my, my, my pay rate I remember at DC was $100 a page oh, yeah. and uh, Wildstorm where I did the authority it went up to $150 a page and to me that was a monumental amount of cash you know that was so much more than $50 yeah. a page extra I was yeah. like I can't believe this this is amazing because yeah. I'd never had a pay rise and then Joe says, why don't you come over for 90, a page that was less than I was even getting? <laughs> yeah. but he said, look, we have no money, but I think in about a year things could be good. Yeah. And I was like, what will, what will I do? And he says, you know, you can do anything. You know, and he said, uh, wow. we're, we're revamping uh, the, the X-Men. Brian Bendis had just uh, been picked up to do Ultimate Spider-Man, yeah. and he asked me to do X-Men. And I was like, I I've never really read X-Men. I've just read bits of it. I've seen the film, though. It's quite yeah. good this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he says, just do what you want. It's from scratch. And that worked out well. It came in as Marvel's number one book that month. And that bought me the license to do what I really wanted to do, which was a franchise I loved, which was the Avengers. You know? yeah. So that became the yeah. Ultimates. And everything I was doing at Marvel was getting really big. And everybody was kind of like, okay, this has surpassed the sales of the last one. You know, this is... Yeah. Uh, if, you, if your books are continuously coming in at number one, it's the best thing at Marvel because they, they trust you and they let you do your next thing. Yeah, so they they you, you great freedom. The Spider-Man that was big and everything. So all these things were doing well and, um, and then Civil War was like the, the I think it's the biggest Marvel graphic novel ever, yeah. you know. So then they said, what do you want to do? And I was like, I'd love to do this story about this young boy in the year 1985 in the real world who loves Marvel Comics and it's all about, you know, this creepy house that's in a forest, that's a Stephen King kind of vibe, that there's a doorway in the house that the Marvel Universe is seeping through and the villains from the Marvel Universe have discovered our Earth and our Earth has got no heroes to protect it so they're coming through and committing crimes here. And that's kind of the basis of it and it's a bunch of kids like the Goonies up against the villains of the Marvel Universe that have seeped through, you know, and Joe was like, that's the worst thing ever. (laughs) And I I was like, trust me, it's going to be really good and Joe was like, Okay, you've given us X Men, Ultimates, all this kind of thing, yeah. Civil War. This is like our thank you to you. You can yeah. go and do this project, you know? And and he was right. You know, nobody really cared. It sold a certain amount. It, it, it broke even or maybe made a slight profit. But I do love it. And I do. It's got a real special place feels in my because heart. Because of the, you
0: know? the, 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 the buzz of things, it's, it feels like Stranger Things has got that vibe yeah, to it. So it's yeah. kind of, it feels like it's such a time that, yeah.
1: Well, there was a whole bunch of us I think who grew up in the 80s yeah, because you had Super 8 as well and yeah, things later yeah, as well yeah, yeah, so I think it was as far as I know it was the first of those type of projects about yeah. a bunch of kids in this sort of proto Spielbergian set and everything yeah. you know? and, and, I, and I loved it it was just you know sometimes there's something that's in your heart and it's got to get out there <laughs> yeah. and even if it's going to make no money and you have to talk the people into it you know you, uh, and, and I, I've sort of earned it after that yeah. and, and, and I think the guy who drew it is magnificent. A guy called Tommy Lee Edwards. Yeah. You know the art on it is just it's beautiful. perfect. It's yeah, so yeah. good, you know. And then I did Old Man Logan and all that afterwards, you know. And they were they were happy because I was back on the gravy train, you know, like I doing the big the big budgets. The stuff.
0: beauty of it is it's a weird it's a weird comparison, but it feel, what I love about it is what I love about the, the Americans mm-hmm. as a TV series. And the mm-hmm. Americans as a TV series, particularly the first couple of seasons. It's set in the 80s or whatever, yeah. but it feels like an 80s TV show. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. like we're doing a pastiche. And yeah. that's what the art in 1985 felt like. Yeah. It felt like it was actually an old comic. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. stumbled across across this old comic rather than it being a, a modern comic that's looking back and trying to be retro. It felt like it was an actual old There's comic. There's a secret to this. It's
1: so interesting you say that because I think it's a really it's an astute point, which is that things that are often set in the past are like every pop culture thing imaginable coexisting at once, yeah. which is not what the past was like, no, you know? No, no, no. So if something is set in 1985, in the background, in a TV show, you'll know, you you'll have a, the number one song of 1985 playing yeah, yeah, in the background, yeah, yeah, yeah. where well, people are dressed in only 1985 kind of clothes. But in reality, when I was 15 in 1985, I was maybe wearing a jacket my brother wore in 1978, yes, you know? So, so there's exactly, a mishmash yeah. of things. And my dad might have been playing a Frank Sinatra record, you yeah. know, from 1958 or yeah. something. So... The reality is, there's a mishmash of cultures at any yeah. time. So, for everything to be completely 1985, is for yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, there's actually very little of pop culture around you at most times in your life. So, I just wrote it almost like a story from now because then it's kind of timeless. Yeah. And there's occasional little things you throw in there, like the comic that the kid is reading is Secret Wars and things yeah, like yeah, that, you yeah. know. But the reality of it is, life is just life, regardless, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. and, and it's a universal thing being 15.
0: Yeah did that influence um you coming up with with things like k- kick kickass at all yeah. because it only came to mind then when you were saying how it's our world yeah. but, s- but suddenly the villains from the marvel world have come through and that's kind yeah. of the basis of kickass i think you're in in the miller world stuff i think nemesis is another one i loved yeah. and there's like you're kind of the master of the idea that you read and go well surely someone's done this before <laughs> is this <laughs> Why this? It's kind of the obvious, the obvious people solution that, that no one's yeah. that no one's come up with, and and yeah. Kickass is a prime example of that. Yeah. Like, oh no, it's just our normal world, yeah. and suddenly there's someone tr- 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 trying to be a superhero. Well,
1: it's funny, when I was promoting Kickass when it was coming out, and I was, you know, nineteen. Uh, sorry, two thousand and eight. People were saying, but there has been stories like Kickass before, and I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, there's Batman. He's like that. He's just like a guy. He's a normal guy, and I was like, no. He's in the DC universe, though he's friends with Superman, yeah. it's different. Check you know? <laughs> yes. like different. me and you, it's like it happening here. Yeah. And I am actually fascinated by the real world. You know, yeah. like I'm really interested in the real world, and most of my stories are set in the real world, you know. So like Wanted was set in the real world, yeah. where something like, you know, Spider-Man would be a comic book or a movie in yeah, the background in yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. But I think it makes it a little bit more real and the threats seem a bit more real, don't they? Because if something's happening in the Marvel universe. Subconsciously, you think, well, if Galactus does eat that, I'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, but, but you've got it, that of attachment. You know, it suddenly feels like anything you, can happen you're you. You're on the other side of the page. Yeah, as exactly, such. Whereas yeah. if you then, it's, it's weird because I I did, after doing poetry for years, I kept having people ask if I'd do a book of poems. And I was yeah. always, like, I didn't read much poetry growing up again. A mm-hmm. working class upbringing, mm-hmm. y- you don't, know, so I refuse. And then yeah. I ended up doing a graphic novel of poems. Uh-huh. So it's a collect... I've got tons of different artists to do a poem each. Yeah. And w- w- one of the artists was an American artist, and the first piece that, that opens the book is kind of the true story of how I got a start oh, oh, when I was growing up and things like that. And I'm, f- I'm flicking through, and I've loved it, and I showed a mate of mine, he's like, oh, mad, is he, is he from Stanford, which is where I live? I was mm-hmm. like, no. And I hadn't looked... The dude had g- g- gone on g- Google Earth and looked up streets in my town... So that he could draw them in the pages, oh and it, it gave amazing. me that exact jump of that's why this felt so real. Yeah. The first time I was reading it, I glaze yeah. over it because I know those streets. Yeah. Of course, yeah. that's that's the street <laughs> it happened on. Of course, it is. But the fact that he'd gone there and got the church and the opticians yeah. and all yeah. this kind of thing, and it's like it did. It drew it drew me in more because of exactly yeah. that. It's the real world is in yeah. there. It's yeah. not some some fictional world, which is. Yeah. An amazing experience. <laughs> Do you know what there was? It's, I'd totally forgotten
1: about this, and I don't think I've ever said it. But there's a crossover between 1985 and Kickass as oh, is, well. Really? Like I had a little sneaky thing where somebody is selling a box of comics in Kickass, right? That has gone missing in 1985. At the end of 1985, there's a suitcase filled with Golden yeah, Age yeah, comics, yeah. Silver Age comics, Silver yeah. Age Marvels that show up. And Big Daddy, Big Daddy's got this case of comics that he's funding all of oh, his wow. uh, his missions on, and there's this little crossover, and it, there's actually a I mention of it that. as well. I think in the comic store in Kickass, they're talking about the villains of the Marvel Universe seeping into your world, yeah. and it makes reference to 1985, and they were both out in the same month. Oh wow! But nobody noticed it, you know? But That's it was my, my little s- joke s- to myself, sneak that in there. <laughs> um,
0: I'll start to wrap things up now. Then, as we as we're almost at the hour mark, and you've given me plenty of your time, um, <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit about nemesis but, 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 because it's not one i've heard you, you talk about an awful lot and it was another one where it was like right so the main character is a villain and yeah. it's not in a villain who's been stabi- established somewhere else yes yeah. that's the main thing and it was another one was like that must have been done before yeah and you're like no not not really it's <laughs> kind of there's been again villains have been established against a hero yeah. that yeah. then get their own spin-off thing but so how was that as a project and as a as an idea what is the process of kind of I've got this one line idea essentially yeah. and then yeah. how do I turn that into?
1: Well, what I always do is I always start with a drawing. Like yeah. I'll always sit in a draw for ages and I always yeah. take a week or two before I start a new project. I only do four right. projects a year. I've always just done about 20 to 22 comics a year. Yeah. And I'll sit for about a week or two and just doodle. And just. And there'll maybe be some stuff that I've had lying for a year or two that's been in folders somewhere, but usually I'll sit and I'll take a drawing. Yeah. And Nemesis came um, from me just drawing Batman like basically just a picture of Batman with no ears and I was thinking about him like it's really weird that Bruce Wayne's a billionaire he's the kind of guy who would fire you you know and everybody's kind of on his side in the cinema same as Tony Stark as well you know it's like these are super privileged guys who would probably fire you and and not even know he's fired you he's got a guy who's fired your whole department he doesn't even know you know and yet everybody's really worried about him on screen you know and it's so weird that we worry about people who have almost nothing to worry about whereas the real drama is in the audience, isn't it, in a Batman film? Because those people are going home and maybe want to have a job next week yeah, or yeah, pay the completely. mortgage or whatever, you know? Like Paul, and I thought... this poor billionaire. Yeah, so how did that, that guy turn out to be the guy we're all rooting for, you know? Yeah. And it just got me sort of thinking. I drew him and I drew him without the mask and everything. And I was thinking, that's kind of interesting, you know, that idea of this sort of... I, I guess it's a bit of a Marxist take on looking at Batman and sort yeah. of thinking well, this guy's got all this stuff, you know, he's a crazy guy, you know, he's traumatised with a childhood death and everything, you know, he's got all this stuff, he's got all this money, he's bored, you know, he's, he's probably slightly kinky and everything, you yeah. know, and you just i think, he'd be a city's worst nightmare, you know, yeah, it's like if, yeah. if somebody like this was out there, the cops would be up against him, so I drew this picture of this sort of like, Commissioner Gordon type guy, and I drew a picture of this sort of evil Batman. I thought it'd be quite interesting, like the cops versus a guy like that. And I just the whole thing unfolded from there, you know. So it always starts with some wee drawings, and if something looks interesting visually, then you can grow a story out of that. Like yeah. I never sit with page one and then wonder what page two is going to be. Yeah. yeah. I always spend two. Well, actually, I can spend more than that. Sometimes I'll spend a month, like p- growing a story organically from yeah. maybe one visual becoming maybe six points within a story and then growing everything from there and pulling it all together Amazing. into a big organic kind of yeah. piece, you know? And that's why usually the endings um, work pretty well yeah. because I've really planned my ending you've, you've, and then reverse engineered it the, the beginning. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I didn't used to do. I changed the way I wrote round about t- 2011, after Nemesis actually, um, because I struggled a little bit with the ending in Nemesis. It, it, it felt a bit rushed and everything. Yeah. But... Um, but what I started doing after that, as a consequence of that, was I would always really spend a lot of time on my ending and then reverse engineer it all the way back to the beginning. So it looks like i planted all these amazing seeds leading up to these payoffs at the yeah. end. But all I'd done, essentially, was reverse engineer yeah, it from where I wanted the to be. Off, you know? I mean, and it changed everything. Yeah. And People often say to me, oh, it must be boring knowing where the story's going. But I think... Your job isn't to be entertained, your job's to entertain the reader. You know, yeah. you, you must get your hands dirty and actually do the mechanics of it. Yeah,
0: and it can be key as, as, as well at times to build in a story, m- making sure the fact that you know isn't r- restricting you or removing anything, because yeah. y- it's hard to remember that they don't know. So you yes. need to have that thing of making sure, are they still going to be interested? Because yeah. I know that the payoff is well worth yeah. it, yeah. but yeah. How, do, how, do, how do I know that they're going to get past the, that 20-minute mark and turn over to their wife and go, Are you feeling this? <laughs> no, no, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah, it's finding that. But that. what I, I do then is
1: I'll, I'll, I'll cut away all the fat. I mean, I genuinely see it as like a mechanical thing, you know. So it's like building Lego, you know. Yeah. So like what I do is I'll work out my ending, I'll have my moments. And I think every sort of six-issue run should have about eight to ten really good moments. Yeah. And if I haven't got those moments, I worry and I start chopping away at other things to create space for those moments. And then I I build it all up and then I look at it and then I take away all the fat. I look and think, is that scene necessary? Can that four page scene be three pages and things, you know, and clip it all down to the absolute minimum it needs to be. Frank Miller did this really great description of it where he says, go in as late as possible to a scene and leave as early as possible and always leave people wanting more then, you know, so just give them just what they need. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you very much for your time. I said, there's there's a lot Happening that we probably can't talk about. I normally end with what's to come, but yeah. I'd imagine it's there's a lot to come, but not a lot that you can say too much well, about immediately. The, 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 King, the new Kingsman actually um, starts
1: filming uh, in January, and is this know? the
0: prequel? Prequel, yeah. Because I, I, Reg poor Scout Edgerton, who cast mm-hmm. them all, mm-hmm. is he's, he's had me in for previous ones oh, and really? things like that. Yeah, yeah. so he's ah. going. Who be up for um it, it was a small character. He, uh-huh. he had me in for in in the Last Kingsman and for a many black thing that he was doing at the right. time. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's exciting. And he was saying recently that the next one is a prequel. Yes, and then it's then there's the third one as yeah. such. So it's the third, but it's all mixed out. Of That's all what but.
1: I love with Matthew Matthew Vaughn. Like he just if he gets an itch to do something he'll just do it because he's funded it with his own cash like he never he never goes to the studios he just like raises the money somehow I don't know how the hell he does it right he raises the cash and then makes the film he wants to make so he said I want to do a historical Kingsman thing and I was like what so I mean I can't be involved actually because I'm under contract exclusively at Netflix I'm on staff at Netflix and same with Golden Circle because I was in the middle of doing all my deals at that point so I couldn't really be involved in it Um, but I was on as an exec producer just because I co-created it Um, but he he put out the news that he was doing a new Kingsman, but Taron yeah. wasn't in it, right? And everybody was like, "Oh my god, why is he not in the third one?" It's because yeah. it's set a hundred yeah. years ago. You know? I saw that so kind of like, anger and <laughs> excitement. It's yeah. like, well, no, that's not. <laughs> but but that's that starts shooting. Although I'm not involved, like yeah. you say, you know that starts shooting in January. That's but um, but then in the spring, we've got some really exciting stuff like Jupiter's Legacy starts yeah. shooting in in spring. And I've read all the scripts now. The scripts are unbelievable, right? It's like. Whenever the scripts started coming through, I was a little bit nervous because Jupiter's Legacy is the project I think I'm most proud of in my yeah. whole career. And I just, page one, I was like, I'm in. This is amazing. I knew, I knew it was brilliant. great with Danite and everything and Danite's directing the first yeah. episode and everything. And I was like, this is fantastic. Knight is a showrunner. He's assembled yeah. the best writer's room you can imagine. I mean, it's incredible. Cool. Episode th- <coughs> three is even better. I read episode three and I was like, I was so excited. I couldn't wait for the show. And it was almost annoying that I had to wait a year and a bit before the show comes on. How does that,
0: that feel to create something and then get to step away from it and put it in someone else's hand? And then still be excited and like not be let down by it? Have that kind of, this is better than I... Oh, you so imagine! Like, I couldn't have taken it here. Yeah, I couldn't have yeah. done this.
1: And they've gone what, what I've maybe done in four panels. They've turned into like a twenty-minute scene or something. Yeah. And, and and to go deep in it and see somebody really good going deep. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like it's probably yeah. how you know Mario Puzo felt whenever yeah. The Godfather get turned into a, a perfect film. You know, yeah. it's like a good book becomes a perfect film. Yeah. So I'm just I'm over the moon with it. And then as exciting, if not even slightly more exciting is the American Jesus TV right, show, right? Yeah. So that's been shot in Mexico yeah. um, a few weeks after uh, Jupiter's Legacy starts shooting, and that's a three-season show, you know? Wow. And um, it's going to be mostly Spanish language, right? Oh, and wow. and that's so exciting. That like The guys who are doing that, the Gout brothers, yeah. Everardo and Leopoldo Gout, they're amazing, right? And they're guys whose work I wasn't familiar with, and Netflix said to me, like, these guys are perfect for this, it's so good. And I, I had a phone call with them, and we did a two-hour call, and between there... Their language and like me speaking Scottish, you know, it was, it was almost impossible, but, <laughs> but we somehow got on like a house and fire and they were so great. And again, they elevate the material so much. I mean, it's, it's so, right. so brilliant. And when they sent me the scripts for the six episodes, I was like almost in tears. I was like, this is the best thing I think I've ever, I, if this is as good as these scripts, this will be the best thing ever on TV. You know, it's like, it's and I, sh- I showed it to my wife, read it that night and she, she stayed up. We went to bed and she was reading the scripts in bed and she started reading them. About half 11, and she was still awake at two. And she woke me up, I'd nodded off. She says, This is like the best thing I've ever read. This is incredible. So, so it's just the, the level of talent that's coming in. Michael Bacall, the guy's doing Sharky the Bounty Hunter, he did 21 Jump Street. And oh, wow. He's, yeah. he's, the script for this is the funniest thing. Like, I've got no complaints, and I love complaining, right? Because yeah, what right. I used to do was, um, <laughs> studios used to send me like um, screenplays for some of my stuff that had been optioned And I, I once wrote a three page letter to the head of a studio talking them out of making the movie they were ready to push the button on yeah. themselves and I said you might as well pour the money in the street and say I like to you know I said okay. this is yeah. garbage it's yeah. garbage great. so I love complaining right? Yeah, and uh, everything that's coming back I'm just loving so it's so exciting all these things shooting t- 2019 all out 2020 it's
0: great I love it well thank you very much and people can keep up to date with you on, on Twitter And, and I'm the, never off it yeah, I, so I'm on it too much it's well thank you very much man it's all very exciting thank you for your time thank you You've been listening to Scrooge's Picks Discrushed the There we go. That was Mark Miller. A lot of people always ask or often ask on episodes when there's a lot of stuff l- listed. So, for example, my Films of the Year episode, if there's a list anywhere. The Films of the Year, obviously, I post the, the list. I put that. Easiest place to find it is on my Instagram because you can just scroll through pictures and you'll see one that's clearly a load of films, uh, posters. If you listen on Acast, we kind of tag and note all the important stuff. So uh, there's a lot of comic books mentioned there, a lot of comic book writers. If you want to go and revisit any of it, go over to Acast or or the player on my on my website on, on distractionpiecespodcast.com um, or at uk. And uh, yeah, there'll be a load of stuff there. Because I recommend... There's tons of Mark Miller stuff I recommend you get. And all the stuff that we raved about, I recommend you get. I basically recommend you get everything um i felt i in the podcast i referred to aquaman as thor aqua rock after Thor ragnarok i thought that was hilarious and i felt it kind of missed its target um <laughs> literally i'd made a note of that and i was like oh this is going to be very funny <laughs> and I, I said it and we just moved on so but yeah i loved chatting to mark he was an absolute inspiration he's fired me up for numerous projects i'm working on and give me new ideas of new new directions for one or two of them. Literally has directed, directly influenced um, a new direction I'm taking on, uh, on one of the projects I've been working on for a while. So, yeah. I loved chatting to Mark. Absolute dude. And that's that. So I'll see you again on Friday. Um, as I'm joined by the wonderful Adam McKay. Writer and director of v- v- Vice the big short and a few films like anchorman and Step Brothers and the other guys and talladega Nights. um it's a great chat so it's a good good week this week you're very w- are welcome i will see you on friday ta-ta